Hey, thanks for joining us on the No Limits Church podcast. This is a place to get equipped to make a difference for the kingdom of God. So get ready to be empowered by this message. So many of you are curious about what the war in Israel reveals about the end times. How many of y'all have been keeping up with the war in Israel? There's plenty of, of news coverage. Raise your hands again. Who's been keeping up with it? Not that you have to watch it every day, but we should be concerned with what's going on in Israel. Um, I'm here to give you answers from the word of God, and this is going to settle your anxieties, not give you anxiety. Isn't that good? That's what the word of God does. You're going to leave here comforted today. And I'm not saying that the war in Israel is a good thing. The war is, what's going on in Israel is terrible. It's awful. The evil that's pouring out out of Hamas is just shocking, isn't it? It's like, wow, that's, that's demon possessed if I've ever seen it. We must continue to pray and declare God's word over Israel. And I know that that even stirs up some controversy. There's so much anti-Semitism going on. Even in America, they're having parties. They're celebrating Hamas. And it's just, it's crazy to even think about. And you know where it's happening most? On college campuses of all places. Isn't that wild? It's wild. So we, as the people of God, we are to pray for Israel and declare God's word over Israel. And some people have the argument, it's like, well, Israel's not all that that nice. Like, it's not like they're the best people in the world. So why should we be praying for them? Man, because the word of God says to pray for Israel. Those who bless Israel will be blessed. Those who curse Israel will be cursed. I don't want to be on the cursed side. I want to be on the blessed side. And the reality is we would not even have our Christian faith if it wasn't for the people of Israel, because that is the foundation of our faith. Israel is the apple of God's eye. We've been adopted into God's chosen people. We're, we're the adopted ones. Do you think we have a right to speak against the ones who are like the blood? Foolishness. We're not going to do that. So, Lord, we pray for Israel right now. We declare your word over them that no weapon formed against Israel will prosper. All those who rise up against Israel will fall. Thank you, Lord God. Lord, we ask you to protect Israel. We ask you to give them wisdom. We pray for Netanyahu and all the leadership of, of Israel that you give them great wisdom on how they stop this attack of the enemy and how they protect their people, Lord. Make it be quick. Make it be swift. But show that it's your hand that does this, Lord. Thank you for an amazing victory that all the ends of the earth will see the victory of our God in Israel. And Lord, I ask you to comfort all those who have lost loved ones in this battle already. Go into those homes and comfort them, Lord. Give them great comfort. You are the great comforter. And Lord, I ask you to also use this as an opportunity to introduce them to Yeshua. I know there's, most of Israel does not know you as their, as their Lord, when, and you want them to know you as their Lord. So Lord, we pray for that, Lord. Go and visit them. Holy Spirit, move. Move in those homes. Move in those places where they're seeking shelter. Holy Spirit, move. Holy Spirit, move in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Thank you, Lord. So a couple years ago, I really didn't know if I was a pre-trib or a post-trib or a no-rapture-at-all kind of guy. I was kind of on the fence. And that really bothered my wife. She would say, how can you not know? You're the pastor. You, you remember that conversation, Beth? It was a scary confession to make to Beth when she's like, you do believe in the pre-tribulation rapture, right? like, I really don't know. And she's like, how could you not know? You're the pastor. And I wanted to know, so I humbled myself before the Lord. I laid down all my preconceived ideas and what I'd heard from others, including my wife. Just laid that down, and I went to Scripture, and I trusted the Holy Spirit to make it clear to me. And once you know it, he does what you ask when you go to Scripture. You say, Holy Spirit, will you teach me in here? And he'll do it. I read in the Gospels where Jesus talks about it. I read in Thessalonians. I read in Daniel. And it didn't take long before it all came into focus. It became as clear as day to me. The entire Word of God agrees. Did you all know that? The entire Word of God agrees. Pretty amazing. The church will be raptured. It will be caught away from this earth before the tribulation. I no longer hope this is true. I know this is true, and I'm looking forward to it. 
But don't take my word for it. You should take God's word for it. I'm going to show you 10 places in the word of God that reveal this is God's plan. This is just to give you a head start. You can go and you can find some more. You should study the word of God yourself. And I understand this topic can get people stirred up. And I brought you part one of this in, at our midweek service this past Tuesday. And it's already stirring people up on YouTube. There's already over 800 people who have watched that, that message on YouTube from our midweek service. A lady that doesn't even attend our church shared her rebuttal in the comments, and, and I would be happy to address it, but I really wasn't sure what she was saying, so I'm just going to have to leave that one there. She's kind of talked in a circle. I'm like, I'm really not really, I don't know where you're going with that. Maybe y'all can go look at that and help me out. But someone else brought up this common belief that the pre-tribulation rapture is man-made teaching that originated in the 1800s. How many of y'all have heard that before? And I'll address that now with two questions. I'm just going to give you questions to address this. Is it a good idea to verify the word of God with historical records that are found on Google? Absolutely. Second question, is Wikipedia a compilation of the wisdom of God or the wisdom of man? AI. Probably so. We've become accustomed to studying the Bible with Google instead of with the Holy Spirit. Oh, we're consumed with the intellectual realm. We think we can understand everything with our minds. You can't understand the things of God with your mind alone. The scriptures can only be understood by those who are surrendered to the Holy Spirit. That's why the Pharisees missed Jesus. The Pharisees, they knew the scriptures better than anyone else. Y'all, they could quote word for word the first five books of the Bible. Anybody in here? Can you do that? They knew the word of God better than anyone else, but they missed Jesus. When Jesus was right in front of them, they couldn't perceive it with their spirit because they were so caught up in their mind in the intellectual realm. And I don't think I have to convince you that being the top intellectual is not a goal worth striving for. It's the most educated people right now that are plunging culture into darkness. Have you noticed that? It's wild. Plus, God uses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. So if the intellectual people are telling you you're foolish, you're on the right track. I rejoice when somebody calls me foolish. I'm like, all right, God's going to use me. It is the Holy Spirit who leads us into all truth, not Google, not intellect, not a college professor, not the things that we can make sense of with the wisdom of man. The Holy Spirit is the one who leads us into all truth. So I encourage you to listen today with an open heart and simply ask the Holy Spirit to lead you into all truth. Can we just ask him that right now? Holy Spirit, we invite you to lead us into all truth. You know, the Lord wants to make this clear for you. And if you put down your defenses, he'll wash away the confusion. I also encourage you to write down these scriptures and take them home and do as I did. Humble yourself before the Lord. Ask the Holy Spirit to lead you in the whole truth. And don't go to scripture and try to prove your viewpoint to God. Don't go to scripture and try to prove your viewpoint to God. Go to scripture and ask God to prove his viewpoint to you. Man, that, that approach right there is going to change everything. So let me take you through 10 reasons in the Word of God why you should expect a pre-tribulation rapture. I went into detail on the first five in our midweek service this past Tuesday. You can find that message on YouTube. I'm going to briefly recap those, and then I'm going to move on to the next five. So number one is the dominion of the church. In Matthew 28, Jesus reveals that he now has all authority in heaven and where? On earth. He has all authority where? In heaven and, and on earth. And Christ is the head, the church is his body. And how does Christ exercise his authority on the earth? Through the church. He has to use an earthen vessel. We are his hands and feet. Jesus refers to the church as himself. We truly are the body of Christ. So as long as the church is here, the church is in charge. As long as they choose to be. 
As the body of Christ, we have been given all authority on earth. And this brings up an interesting question. Who has dominion over the earth during the tribulation? The Antichrist, if you read in the book of Revelation. But the gates of hell cannot prevail against the church. So how can the Antichrist take his place of dominion when the church is also here on the earth? As long as the church is here, any attempt at the Antichrist is going to fail. He's going to try to raise up an Antichrist, but we're going to put a stop to it. There is power that resides within the church that Satan cannot overcome. Y'all need to get that in your heads. Even if you don't like my pre-tribulation rapture talk, at least get that. There is power that resides within the church that Satan cannot overcome. Look at Adolf Hitler, a perfect candidate for the Antichrist, but he didn't make it. Why? The church put a stop to it. Look at the vaccine mandates just a few years ago. A perfect candidate for the mark of the beast, but it didn't make it. Why? The church put a stop to it. Look at America. The enemy tried to take it out, but as the Lord has prophesied, America is on the road to redemption. America has been redeemed, and we will see the victory of our God, but why? Because the church is awake now. We were asleep at the wheel. We were on our cruise ship, just letting America go to hell. But God sunk the cruise ship and put us on the battleship. Satan is not over our heads. Satan is not looking us eye to eye. Where is he, y'all? He's under our feet. He was under our feet yesterday. He's going to be under our feet tomorrow. So let me make this clear as day. When you don't believe in a pre-tribulation rapture, you really don't believe in the dominion of the church. I mean, at what point does the Bible say the church will hand dominion to the Antichrist so that the tribulation can take place? It's not going to happen. Christ redeemed dominion, and he's not giving it back. So the only way for the Antichrist to take dominion over the world for that seven-year period of time called the tribulation is for the church to be moved out of the way. And that's where 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 6 comes in. And you know what's holding him back? The Antichrist. You know what's holding the Antichrist back? For he can be revealed only when his time comes. For this lawlessness is already at work secretly, and it will remain secret until the one who is holding it back steps out of the way. Then the man of lawlessness will be revealed, but the Lord Jesus will slay him with the breath of his mouth and destroy him by the splendor of his coming. That's great. I mean, he thinks he's all powerful, and Jesus is going to show up and go, ah! Done deal. And it's not because he has bad breath either. Can you see why Satan's so frustrated right now? We are holding back the Antichrist. He cannot be revealed until we step out of the way. There are churches just like this church right here, rising up everywhere, all over America, all over the world. And we're holding back the Antichrist so that more people have the opportunity to come and know Christ before the tribulation happens. So if you believe that the church has the power to destroy the works of the devil and to hold back the Antichrist, why don't you stand to your feet and give God praise like you believe it? Hallelujah. Glory to your name, God. Glory to your name. Hallelujah. Mm. We're going to keep working on that. You guys, you guys are getting it. Number two, the church disappears after Revelation chapter three. So Revelations chapter one through three are all about the church. There's seven letters to seven church, churches written by Jesus himself. And then take a look at what happens in chapter four. It says, after these things, I looked and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking to me saying, come up here and I'll show you things which must take place after this. I mean, does that sound familiar? The sound of a trumpet call? 
calling you up to meet Jesus. What you need to recognize here is that the church is not mentioned in Revelation again until chapter, until the last chapter, the last chapter. So throughout the entire prophecy of the tribulation, throughout all those horrible judgments, there is no mention of the ecclesia, the church. Why? Because there is a void of the church in the tribulation. We gone, y'all. We gone. We've been raptured. Number three, the days of Noah. Jesus gave us several parables and Old Testament comparisons to help us understand the end times. So this is Jesus talking in Matthew chapter 24, verse 37. When the Son of Man returns, it'll be like it was in the Noah's day. In those days before the flood, the people were enjoying banquets and parties and weddings right up to the time Noah entered his boat. And people didn't realize what was going to happen until the flood came and swept them all away. That is the way it'll be when the Son of Man comes. Two men will be working together in the field. One will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding flour at the mill. One will be taken, the other left. So when the flood came, did Noah have to tread water for a few days before he got in the boat? Did he have to swim to the boat and barely make it to his rescue? No, because not one drop of rain, not one drop of God's judgment was allowed to fall until Noah and his family were safely sealed in the ark. Can somebody say amen to that? God does not pour out his wrath on the righteous. He never has, and he never will. When Jesus returns, it'll be like it was in Noah's day. And I want you to take a look at what it was like back then. This is found in Genesis chapter 6, verse 11. Now God saw that the earth had become corrupt and was filled with violence. Does that sound familiar? Does it look like the days of Noah out there? And this is going to blow your mind. I want you to take a look at the Hebrew word that was translated to violence in this scripture. Are you ready for this? Hamas. Hamas is the Hebrew word that was translated to violence in this scripture that describes the days of Noah. Hamas. I hope that gets your attention. Jesus is coming soon. Man, I'm excited. Number four, the days of Lot. Noah isn't the only representation of how this is going to play out. We have another one as well. This is found in Luke chapter 17, verse 28. And the world will be as it was in the days of Lot. People went about their daily lives, eating and drinking, buying and selling, farming and building, until the morning Lot left Sodom. Then fire and burning sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. Yes, it will be business as usual right up until the day when the Son of Man is revealed. And that night, two people will be asleep in one bed. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding flour at the mill. One will be taken and the other left. Was Lot dodging a burning sulfur on his way out? Not one flame of God's judgment was released until angels came first and rescued Lot out of the city. Because God does not pour out his wrath on the righteous. He never has and he never will. There's going to be a lot more righteous this time, thankfully. Not just one family, not just one person. And number five, Jesus' promise of protection. Take a look at what Jesus said to the faithful church in Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3, verse 10, because you have obeyed my command to persevere, I will protect you from the great time of testing that will come upon the whole world to test those who belong to this world. Did Jesus say that he would protect us in the great time of testing? He said he would protect us from the great time of testing. The great time of testing, the tribulation, is not for those who belong to God. The scripture makes it clear. It's for those who belong to the world. That's why Jesus is going to remove us before it comes. And that concludes my recap from our midweek service. Who's ready for the next five reasons that you should expect a pre-tribulation rapture? Number six, the resurrection of the dead. 
One of the clearest ways to determine the timing of the rapture mentioned in 1 Thessalonians is the resurrection of the dead that is not mentioned at the end of the tribulation. Turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We're going to start there, and then I'll take you to Revelation. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. And now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died so you will not grieve like people who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him the believers who have died. We tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet him ahead of those who have died. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. First, the believers who have died will rise from their graves. Then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with the Lord forever. So encourage each other with these words. And now let's contrast this with a few details regarding the end of the tribulation mentioned in Revelation chapter 19. This one's on the screen for you. Revelation chapter 19, verse 14. The armies of heaven, dressed in the finest of pure white linen, followed him on white horses. Anybody know who the armies of heaven are? The saints and the angels joining Jesus to come back. The armies of heaven. This verse is talking about the church. When Jesus comes back, we're coming back with him as his army. But wait, how did we end up with Jesus before the in this post-tribulation event if there wasn't a pre-tribulation rapture? We know that we can't, there can't be a post-tribulation rapture because take a look at what happens just a few, verse, few verses later after the battle has been won. This is found in verse, man, this is small text on my screen. Revelation 20, verse 4 through 5. Then I saw thrones, and the people sitting on them had been given authority to judge. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their testimony about Jesus and for proclaiming the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast or his statue nor accepted his mark on their foreheads or their hands. They all came to life again, and they reigned with Christ for a thousand years. This is the first resurrection. The rest of the dead did not come back to life until the thousand years has ended. So who came back to life? Only those who were beheaded during the tribulation. But didn't Thessalonians just tell us that the dead in Christ will rise first? And he was telling like the saints 2,000 years ago that, hey, those who have died are going to rise first. But here we were talking about those who died during the tribulation. So clearly, these are two separate events. Based on this biblical evidence and the others that I've shared, 1 Thessalonians has become clear. It's a, talking about a pre-tribulation rapture. <sighs> Do you need more proof? Probably so. I mean, this is a hot topic, right? So let's keep going. Number seven, God's choice is this, no wrath for the church. God is the only one who, God is the one who made the choice that the church would not go through the tribulation. It's his choice. I want you to take a look at this. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 9. For God chose to save us through our Lord Jesus Christ, not to pour out his anger on us. Christ died for us so that whether we are dead or alive when he returns, we can live with him forever. You know, it's funny to me how we have a hard time believing this. Like we struggle to wrap our minds around the goodness of God. It's like we want things to be hard. This comes from all the religious teaching over the years. It's, it's hard to serve God. You're going to be poor. You're going to live a pitiful life on the earth. But hang on because your old mansion's coming. Anybody ever heard a, heard a message like that? Hogwash. That's a bunch of bull. 
He wants us victorious now. He wants us full of joy uh, right now. We are to be the most victorious, peaceful, and joyful people that the Lord has ever seen or that the world has ever seen. We should be confident in God's goodness. He's not going to make us suffer through the tribulation. He chose to save me. The only suffering that you should have before is persecution. And this is where a lot of people get mixed up. The tribulation is not persecution. There will be persecution during the tribulation, but the horrible things that happen are the wrath of God being poured out on the whole earth. It says that his wrath has been stored up for these last days. So where has his wrath been the last 2,000 years? Stored up, and it's going to be poured out in seven years. Y'all want to see 2,000 years of wrath poured out in seven years. Who does vengeance belong to? The Lord. He will pour out his vengeance. So the only suffering you should have before heaven is persecution. And even then, you you should consider that an opportunity for what? Great joy. Because when your faith is tested through persecution, your endurance has a chance to grow. And you need some endurance. The church in these last hours is going to become unrecognizable. Until now, the, the world has known us as pitiful, as passive, as poor, as weak people. But watch out. The Holy Spirit's given us a makeover. He's getting the bride of Christ ready for wedding day. Before we're raptured, we'll be known as people who are full of crazy joy. The church will become a safe haven. It's not going to look anything like the world. The world's going to become more and more evil, beaten down and depressed, while we become more and more joyful. Passive Christianity is over. Calm Christianity is over. Tolerant Christianity is over. Depressed Christianity is over, if that ever was Christianity to begin with. Sing and shout for joy, because God has chosen to save you from the coming horrors. Number eight, encouraging words. So let's go back and read what the Apostle Paul said after giving the details of the rapture in 1 Thessalonians. So what do you say? Encourage each other with these words. If I told you that you wouldn't be raptured until the middle or the end of the tribulation, would you be encouraged today? It sounds like this. So uh, many bad things are about to happen. Uh, many of you are going to die. Uh, but anyone who makes it is going to be raptured at the end. So good luck. That's not encouraging, but I can tell you what is encouraging. Before the tribulation begins, Jesus is going to call us up to heaven. First, the believers who have died will rise from their graves, and then those who are alive will meet them in the air, and we will go be with the Lord forever. Who's encouraged now? So i got to ask you, is, is encouragement a sin? Some of the church gets upset when we encourage each other. Is encouragement a sin? How about hope? How about taking part in the goodness of God? Is that a sin? God has never poured out his wrath on the righteous. He won't do it. Number nine, the bride of Christ. Based on scripture, I think we'd all agree that the church is the bride of Christ. And that's one of those things that, like across denominations, I think we all agree on. Like we found something. That's that's awesome. So what groom would tell his bride, listen, I'm going to have you beaten and I'm going to have you raped before we get married. It's going to be so bad, it's highly likely that you're going to die. But you know what? I'll raise you from the dead before we get married. Jesus is not coming back for a beaten, bloody, dead bride. Here's what Jesus is coming back for, found in Ephesians chapter 5. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church, without a spot 
or wrinkle or any other blemish. It says she will be holy and without fault. This echoes many of the other points today. God does not pour out his wrath on the righteous. Jesus will protect us from the great time of testing. He's coming back for a glorious church. If you're going to be part of the glorious church, say amen. Amen. Last one, number 10, Jesus' escape plan. You know, one of the things people say when they mock the pre-tribulation rapture is, you're just looking for an escape. You're just looking for an escape. Again, this comes from religion. We want it to be hard. We want to, we want to be miserable. Let everybody know that we are. But let me, put it, let me put this in perspective. If you were in a burning building and there was a way of escape, would you just sit there and burn? So when people accuse me of looking for an escape, I reply this, yes. Yes, I am. I'm looking for the escape that Jesus told me about. Luke chapter 21, verse 36, keep alert at all times and pray that you might be strong enough to escape these coming horrors and stand before the Son of Man. Since Jesus said I can escape the coming horrors, that's what I'm going to do. And through daily prayer, I'm going to ensure that I'm strong enough to find that escape hatch. Here's how it's going to go down. Found in Luke chapter 12. The servants who are ready and waiting for his return will be rewarded. I tell you the truth, he himself will seat them, put on an apron, and serve them as they sit and eat. He may come in the middle of the night or just before dawn, but whenever he comes, he will reward the servants who are ready. God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. May we become people who receive his rewards. And what greater reward is there than to enjoy a meal with Christ while the prophecy found in Revelation is being fulfilled on the earth? I hope you noticed how this scripture made it clear that this reward is only for servants who are ready and waiting for his return. This should prompt a question. How do I make sure that I'm ready? We get the answer in Luke chapter 21. Watch out. Don't let your hearts be dulled by carousing and drunkenness and by the worries of this life. Don't let that day catch you unaware like a trap. For that day will come upon everyone living on the earth. Keep alert at all times and pray that you might be strong enough to escape these coming horrors and stand before the Son of Man. You know, the Holy Spirit's done a great job over the last three years reminding the church that we are free from sin. We, we knew that we were forgiven, but we kind of forgot that we were free. But now we know we're not just forgiven, we're free. So the biggest temptation for the church just a few years ago was sin. But now what we need to watch out for is the things that dull our hearts. So what are the things that dull your hearts? Well, that scripture is pretty clear. Alcohol is one of them. Marijuana, prescription drugs, worldly television shows, worldly movies, social media. Have you ever noticed how that dulls your heart? Worrying about money, the cares of this life, just getting consumed with the cares of this life. You see, we're being tempted to put anything and everything above the things of God. Has anybody ever been tempted to do that? The enemy's working to get us to do anything except spend time in God's presence and with his people and out there ministering the gospel and all these things that we should be doing. He wants us doing anything but that stuff. And recently, I've witnessed a frustration stirring in many people here at No Limits, and some have even risen up with a stern rebuke for those who are not prioritizing the things of God. And now I understand why. I'm like, what is going on in here? Like, we're getting upset. The Holy Spirit's issuing a stern rebuke (laughs) to save you. You're being tempted to do things that dull your heart towards God and Jesus bringing out the rescue paddle. 
with pow. Anybody been smacked upside the head by Jesus with his word? So listen carefully. There will be many people who end up in hell because they became lukewarm. There was a time they did all kinds of things in Jesus' name, but then they turned their attention elsewhere. They became indifferent. They ran out of oil. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25, verse 1. Jesus talking, red letters. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten bridesmaids who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The five who were foolish didn't take enough oil for their lamps, but the other five were wise enough to take along extra oil. And when the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, they were roused by the shout, Look, the bridegroom is coming. Come out and meet him. All the bridesmaids got up and prepared their lamps. And then the five foolish ones asked the others, Please give us some of your oil because our lamps are going out. But the others replied, We don't have enough for all of us, so go to a shop and buy some for yourselves. But while they were gone to buy oil, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went with him to the marriage feast, and the door was locked. Later, the other five bridesmaids returned and stood outside calling, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. But he called back, believe me, I don't know you. So you too must keep watch, for you do not know the day or hour of my return. Mm. There's nothing more important than the things of God. We must fan the flame. Fan the flame until we're so on fire that we're going to wreck our schedules to be a part of what God is doing in every day of our lives, not just on Sunday. But Lord, what do you want me to do today on Monday? What do you want me to do on Tuesday? What do you want me to do on Wednesday? When you become indifferent about what's going on, even in your own church, if you could like take it or leave it, I'm not saying you have to have perfect attendance. I'm talking about an attitude that's underneath. If you could just take it or leave it, that's a warning sign. If something as menial like sports or work or sleep or all these things that are going to pass away with the Lord become more important than gathering with the body of Christ, like, watch out. Watch out. It's amazing how this is coming true right in front of our eyes. I mean, it's so obvious why Jesus issued this warning because it's going to be more and more common as we approach his return. And this isn't the first time that this has happened. Did you know that this also happened in his first coming? Take a look at this. Found in Matthew chapter 13. It says, for the heart's of this people have grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing and their eyes have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears. Lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so that I should heal them. This doesn't have to be you. You don't have to be one of these people. So hear the Lord this day when he says, watch out. Don't let your hearts be dulled by carousing and drunkenness and by the worries of this life. Don't let that day catch you unaware like a trap, for that day will come upon everyone living on the earth. So keep alert at all times and pray that you might be strong enough to escape these coming horrors and stand before the Son of Man. And I'm shouting at you today because I love you. I want you at my table when we're being served by the Lord. I want you sitting there with me. The TV show isn't worth it. The alcohol is not worth it. The job that's trying to consume your life is not worth it. It's not worth it. The marijuana is not worth it. Being constantly on your phone all the time is not worth it. 
This message today carries an anointing to break the power of that thing that is dulling your heart. But there's a choice that you have to make. You know what that choice is? Surrender. Surrender. Jesus can only free you from the things that you surrender. I'm talking about a complete release. It's not, this isn't just giving him some of it. It's giving him all of it. Man, that was good, wasn't it? Help us get God's word out to everyone who needs it by partnering with us financially. Your generous giving is what enables us to make a difference for the kingdom of God. Visit nolimits.fyi to give securely online. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss a message. And thanks again for listening. Now let's go make a difference.